That is the kid that's at NHL team, the auto centers. I am trying to, to do that. It's a very expensive. So, you know, yeah, I, need, like I, need a, yeah. Yeah, I need a partner with, you know, really deep pockets. Yeah. Um, you know, much bigger. That's, it's, called a, it's called a consortium, a consortium, or a consortium. It's such a, it's such a fancy way of saying I need a sugar mommy or a sugar daddy. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, but you, you um, do need one, yeah. Yeah, and if that doesn't... 7.03 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That clip you heard, Ryan Reynolds last night on Jimmy Fallon. I think it's the first time we played a Fallon clip, maybe ever, on the show. But it was relevant because Ryan Reynolds did essentially confirm that he is kind of sort of interested in purchasing the Ottawa Senators, who are now up for sale. We'll get to Ian Mendez in a second here to talk about that and a whole lot more. Busy week in Ottawa in terms of Senators news. Uh, before we get to Ian, I need to tell you that Halford & Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of the program, Hour 2, is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Happy to be joined by our next guest from The Athletic in Ottawa, Ian Mendez here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Hey, gentlemen. Doing great. How are you? Oh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, so many places to go, so many different ways we could start. But uh, I'm going to put the Ryan Reynolds thing on the back burner for a sec because oh, okay. the thing that the Canucks and the Senators have in common going into tonight's hockey game, Several things, as a matter of fact. One, they're losing more than they're winning, both teams. And two, uh, both teams' head coaches have come under the microscope recently. Now, the only big difference is that where Pierre Dorian was, he was supportive of his head coach, DJ Smith. Said that DJ Smith is our head coach. Uh, Jim Rutherford with Bruce Boudreau, not so much. But can you give our listeners a sort of overview of where things are at with DJ Smith, Pierre Dorian, and the Ottawa Senators in terms of coaching stability or lack thereof right now? Well, you, you just laid it out perfectly. And I think it was a very public defense of DJ Smith from Pierre Dorian yesterday. Look, I, I got to tell you, if he doesn't do that yesterday, I think we go into tonight's game here in Ottawa thinking, uh, this kind of feels like a must-win game for Ottawa. Like, if they don't win, are they going to kind of part ways with the coach? I think at the very least, um, he's got himself some time here. Now, is that two weeks, three weeks, five weeks, the rest of the season? I don't know. But it's certainly, I think what it's done, Dorian's kind of surprise media session yesterday, is it's kind of made that, that, that feeling of, um, you know, must win or the immediacy of, of DJ Smith's future, it's evaporated now. Um, I don't think if they lose tonight, even if it's 5 nothing, I don't think as a general manager, you can give a passionate defense and I, I we all know the the classic uh, you know um, you know vote of confidence thing but I don't think you can do what you did and then turn around and uh, you know change your head coach I, I think at the very least he's got um, the next 10 games or you know whatever it is get us to, to 20 games and we'll reassess but it it doesn't feel like anything is imminent uh, when it comes to DJ Smith and his future here you know why are the senators struggling right now so not to get too bogged down in uh, you know, because I know sometimes underlying numbers and analytics are makes for very, very boring uh, radio. But to to put this bluntly, Ottawa's actually played pretty well. Like like five on five, they've been a really good team. The two things, or one thing in particular that's really submarine them is the power play, and and that's really surprising, right? I think in the off season, especially if you you know if you've got a hockey pool, 
uh, you were probably thinking like, wow, the Ottawa Senators, look at this, uh, you know, loaded top six, and it's going to be a fun power play to watch. They've been bad. Like, they've been really bad on the power play. In fact, Alex DeBrinkett, who they brought in, he's a perennial 40-goal scorer. He has, he's only got two goals this season. One of them's into an empty net. Uh, so, you know, Alex hasn't found his home on the power play. Um, the power play, I think, it, I don't, there was games last night, but they were like 25th or 26th in the league. And that's really unacceptable. So when you're losing games, and the funny thing is too, so Ottawa's lost seven games in regulation time, guys. In all seven games, Ottawa was trailing by one goal with about two minutes to go. So the other thing, like, so part of it is, look, if you just had a power play goal in some of those games, we're having a different conversation. The other thing is they've pulled their goalie uh, in every game that they've lost and they've yet to, to score a, a tying goal at, at six on five. And if you go back to last year, um, they've only scored one goal with the, the goalie pulled in, in like a year and a half, a calendar year and a half. Like it's kind of remarkable. And I think we're having a different conversation. So let's say the power play is clicking or six on five is clicking. And let's say the record isn't four, seven and, and oh, let's say the record is four, four and you know, three or whatever. I think we're having a little bit of a different conversation yeah. around them. But when you lose seven games in regulation, five in a row, uh, boy, it's uh, it's an ugly feeling. Uh, surely the uh, injury to Josh Norris hasn't helped either because you've got, I guess, Derek Broussard as, as the 2C. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know Derek Broussard was still in the league. Right. Yeah. No, no. And, 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 and you're not alone on that. I think uh, he, he was signed to a PTO. Like how many times in the NHL does a guy go from a PTO to a top six job? It's pretty rare, right? Like usually if you're a PTO guy, you're like, oh, maybe you're a, uh, you know, third pairing D or a seventh D or, you know, bottom six guy. And, and, and in truth, Derek Broussard was supposed to be that. He was supposed to be a depth guy. I kind of change it up when you need it type of thing. Uh, but he's been thrust into it. And you'll see it tonight. Like they're not skating this morning, but I, I anticipate if they run the game the way that they ran practice yesterday, Derek Broussard is going to be centering uh, Drake Batherson and, um, and Alex to And, that's a lot to ask. You know, Derek's 35 years old. He's not the guy, you know, he was big game brass in New York, you know, seven years ago, whatever it was. And he's not that guy anymore. And, uh, you know, can he still be productive? Yeah, I think so in spurts. But it, it's, it's hard when you lose a guy like Norris, who scored 36 goals last year, is a legitimate, you know, top six forward in this league. You take him out of the equation and suddenly all of it looks, uh, you know, looks a little bit thin. How's Alex Dabrinkit? been for the Sens because the Sens obviously have a big decision with him um, and he's got a big decision with them and if they can't come to a contract agreement I guess to it could be a trade deadline guy that that's out there yeah like listen I, I don't think any option is off the table I don't think signing to it to an extension is off the table I don't think trading him by the deadlines off the table I think uh, him coming back you, you either you qualify him or you take him to arbitration or you figure it out next summer and you come back in a one-year deal I don't think that's off the table he struggled. Um, but the thing is like, and you'll see it tonight. Um, like he's getting shots. Like I, like, like through the weekend, like he was top 10 in the NHL in shots on goal. So it's not like you're watching Ottawa games. You're like, where's Alex to it? No, he's there. You see him. He's just not, it's not clicking. And, and I'd be curious too. Like, you know, I think Patrick Kane is off to a slower than usual start for him. And, and, you know, you wonder how much, those two fed off each other the last couple of years, right? Like, like that was a world-class combination. If you, you know, close your 
your eyes and kind of in your mind's eye, you think of an Alex Dabrinkit goal. It's probably a, a beautiful pass from Patrick Kane and, and Dabrinkit's in the left face-off circle as a right shot and he's firing it in. And um, that's not happening for him right now. And so I think it's going to be really interesting because you're right. Like um, he's a curious case. He's, he's got a, a, his contract this year is 9 million, like in terms of real dollars. So you want to qualify Alex Dabrinkit in the, into the final year of his, um, uh, you know, kind of being an RFA. It's a $9 million qualifying offer. So, look, if he scores 40 goals, I don't think anybody has a problem with it. Yeah, a qualifying offer, if it gets to that, $9 million, no problem. If he has a subpar year, you got to have a conversation of where this all goes. So, you know, it, 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 I almost feel like he's the poster boy, though, for Ottawa's problems because he is playing well. He is getting chances. They're just not going in. And, and we'll see what the next, uh, the next few weeks hold. But he's getting power play time. He's getting, he's getting all the opportunities. He just doesn't seem to be falling for him right now. How do the fans like Tyler Mott? I bet they like him. You know what? Yeah. And, and everybody that I spoke to from Vancouver said two things about Tyler Mott. Number one, you're just going to like this guy as a human being. Good human being, good guy in the room. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, like when it, when it comes time to kill penalties or it comes time to just you need somebody, you, you have to have some, some of those dependable, um, low-maintenance guys in your bottom six. And that's exactly what he is. And, you know, in, in the first few games of the season, like I think he had five points in his first five games. And Shane Pinto is a name that maybe not everybody knows, but he was the NHL's rookie of the month in, in October, and he scored six goals. Like Tyler Mott played on line with Shane Pinto for a good chunk of October, and they had a little little chemistry going. It was Mott, Pinto, and, and Matthew Joseph. And, you know, Tyler Mott, you know, he came out yesterday. Uh, you know, there's some, you know, the Canucks were here. So I think, you know, a handful of Vancouver media was here. And I think they chatted with, with, with Tyler Mott. And um, you could just tell, right, he's a really likable guy. He's just a um, – just I think every coach – I remember DJ Smith saying at the start of the year that, you know, every coach needs a couple guys like that. Just You can just know what you're getting out of them every night. They're not going to be a 20-goal guy, 25-goal guy, and they're not going to, you know, uh, wow you off the page. But every single night you know what you're going to get. It's just consistency. And, and I, think, I think for the most part we've seen that out, out of uh, – Tyler Mott, uh, 10, 10, 11 games in the season. We're speaking to Ian Mendez from The Athletic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Ian, of course, is out of Ottawa. The Canucks, of course, are in Ottawa. They take on the Sens tonight, 4 o'clock puck drop our time. Ian, I got two more for you before we let you go. One, another thing that the Canucks and Sens have in common is that uh, both teams were looking to upgrade their blue lines. Prior to this in the summer, Jim Rutherford said it, Pierre Dorian said it, but am I led to believe that Dorian's search for a defenseman now seems to be on hold? It, it, at least if we take him at his word for what he said yesterday, then yes, it doesn't sound like he's uh, actively seeking it. But you know what? Maybe that's his way of trying to, you know, maybe kind of lay in the weeds a little bit. I, sure. I, I don't know. But but I think it's very much like, if I'm not mistaken, like in Vancouver is, is the topic of conversation, like we kind of have to find a partner for Quinn Hughes, right? Like a long-term yeah, eventually. I mean, I, we've had that conversation I, I, I for a while. It's, it's, it's one of the things. Anyway. Just, just get yeah. more defensemen. Yeah. That's a conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and that's exa- in Ottawa. It's we got to find a, a like kind of a dependable part. Either it's for Shabbat or Sanderson, but they need just need a long term guy that that fits into the top four. And I think you know this from from your market. Like it, it's maddening, right? Like it's maddening to watch uh, a top four or top six, and you're like, gosh, we just need one more guy or two, two more guys. And, and, and in, in Ottawa, it's felt like that for a number of years. The one thing I'll say, if you're able to watch, I know it's an early start time for, for people today in, uh, in, in Vancouver, but if you're able to watch tonight, keep your eye on 85 for Ottawa. 
this guy, Jake Sanderson, okay. is so much fun to watch, and he's come in as advertised. He does at least one kind of just really smart or impressive or creative thing every game. Uh, he's he's the way Dorian explained it yesterday was okay. Do we need another top defense for? Yeah, probably, but. I will say that Sanderson's emergence has maybe lessened the need. That's what, what Dorian said. And he's legit, like guys like legitimately right now, he's a top four, not, not a, well, I think maybe in two years he could be a top four. Like, no, legitimately he's a top four guy. He might be their best defenseman so far this season. Okay. Before we let you go now, uh, the big one that we let off the entire segment <laughs> with. So Ryan Reynolds goes on Jimmy Fallon last night and essentially confirms in a sort of playful, jovial way that he is indeed interested in purchasing the Ottawa Senators. Now, I know you guys at The Athletic uh, did some digging and you were able to confirm that um, the Senators franchise has, uh, I, I guess they couldn't, they, they uh, took with an outside firm to start exploring the possibility yeah. of a sale. In your reporting or your digging, do you have any idea of how legitimate Ryan Reynolds' potential candidacy to buy the team is? Yeah, I, I think it's legitimate. I, and I do. And I, and I think, you know, him going on Fallon yesterday uh was was just confirmation of kind of what we've heard and and i think what what he wants to do and he kind of i think he laid it out pretty clearly yesterday he can't like he's not the guy to be like hey the team sells for 750 here's a uh you know a check for 750 and it's you know ryan rouse is going to be the the majority owner it sounded like um he wants to partner with somebody and and here's the good news for ryan reynolds there's no shortage of partners. There's no shortage of partners. Like in our reporting, in our digging around guys, like I want to say at least four groups that are kind of circling the waters right now, like four separate groups that all want to keep the team in Ottawa, all want to buy the team, all see a vision of, you know, moving them downtown. And I, I suspect if he hasn't been in contact with all of them, he, he will be shortly or they'll be reaching out to him. I mean, it is a dream scenario when you have somebody of his stature going on a, a, a platform like the tonight show and talking about the Ottawa senators. Like, I mean, that yeah. in and of itself like, is, is, is worth a lot of money. So I think there's a lot of credibility to it. I think he, he confirmed it last night and obviously he's got a connection here. I know his Twitter hand, like he, he loves Vancouver. He knows, everyone knows he's a Vancouver guy, but when he was 13 years old, he lived in Ottawa and you know, he's always had a fondness, I think for, for this city, and, and if and, uh, there's an opportunity for him to even have a minority stake in this team, it sounds to me like he's all in. Surely he could partner up with maybe a developer that a developer that's going to develop the LeBreton Flats. Is that what it's called? Where the arena is yeah. maybe going to be built? Absolutely. And, and look, there's 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 no shortage, guys. There's at least, like I said, four groups uh, that are willing to to do this. And and I think where where Ryan Reynolds has the um, I guess the uh, the expertise, you're right. He owns the the soccer club in Wales, and anybody who hasn't seen, uh, kind of welcome to, to Wrexham, uh, you know, streaming uh, documentary. It's great. He can help shape the narrative around this team, right? He's a great storyteller. I think he can help create content um, in this marketplace. That's where I think, like, that's the value of having a Ryan Reynolds. Like, uh, if you're the NHL too, like, how are you not saying to yourself, we got to figure this out? Like, get this guy in on some level because it's obvious that the public relations um you know effect from this will be massive Ian, thanks a lot for doing this today man we really appreciate it great insight into all things senators enjoy the game tonight should be a good one we will do this again uh the next time that ottawa and vancouver meet yeah you got it guys have a great day youtube thanks that's ian mendez from the athletic in ottawa here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 i'd be a little hurt if ryan reynolds bought the ottawa senators
Come on, Ryan, you're a Vancouver guy. Uh, uh, he spent time in Ottawa. Too. He lived in he, he, he lived in Vancouver. Time Vanier, in right? Ottawa. Come on, he spent time. He's a he's a Canucks fan though. He's a Canadian. He's a Canucks fan through and through. Okay. I, you know Canadian. what? I, I mean, I think it would be great for the Sens. Well, don't, don't get me wrong. Also, how often do teams become available for purchase? It doesn't happen no, that I know. often, right? I know. And you you got to jump on those opportunities when, yeah. if, if, that, if that's your dream. I, I get what it. you do is you buy them and then you move them. That's the way to win it. Or are the Canucks going to sale anytime soon? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. You got any scoops for us? <laughs> yeah. I got no scoops. We on. have not been digging around that one in particular. We're what if he moves the, the Sens to Vancouver? Vancouver Surrey, too. the new stadium in Surrey. Yeah, right. Yeah. You can play the 60,000 seat exactly. stadium in Surrey. <laughs> yeah. um, I. You know, I think this is going to be really fascinating to watch. What was the last NHL team that was up for sale? God, I, off the top of my head, I can't think. The, the most recent ones have all been expansion Penguins franchises, got sold. right? Yeah, the Penguins were sold so, to, Fenway to Fenway Sports. By the way, yeah. you see Fenway Sports is uh, selling, selling Liverpool. Yeah, they're, selling or they're exploring it, at least. Yeah, they're also exploring selling shares in Liverpool, like not yeah. doing an outright like changeover or whatever. But yeah, no, it's, it's interesting times in Ottawa. The Canucks are going to be in Ottawa tonight. Four o'clock, um, puck drop. You can hear it all right here on Sportsnet 650, including the pregame show. So I watched uh, uh, actually quite a bit of hockey last night. I watched a bunch of the Oilers-Capitals game. That was a really exciting game. Lots of goals scored, uh, especially on the Capitals' power play. Yeah. The Oilers' penalty killing is, honestly, it looks like the Canucks' penalty killing out there. Uh, it's a real problem. And I don't know if anyone's noticed I don't know if anyone's been maybe too consumed with the Canucks struggles to pay attention to the struggles of some other teams around the Canucks, but Edmonton's just seven and six and they got issues with Jack Campbell right now. He is not playing well for them in goal and it was Skinner and net last night and he got lit up. Four power play goals. Yeah. Yeah. Tighter record for Washington. Four power play goals for the Caps. Yeah. The Oilers penalty killing as, as mentioned was really struggled. Um, the Calgary Flames also lost last night. Granted, they got a point of it, but they lost uh, to the Islanders. Yes, they're five, four, and two. They've lost five in a row. Granted, two of those came in overtime in the shootout, but they're zero three and two. Very similar issues plaguing both teams. In that one, they can't keep the puck out of the net. So the Oilers have given up fifteen goals over the last three games, uh, very quietly because I don't think a lot of people have been really amplifying this story. Jacob mm-hmm. Markstrom. No bueno to start the season to the point where Vladar has gotten more starts than anyone expected. And Daryl Sutter's doing Daryl Sutter things with the goaltending. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of what you get. It's part and parcel with Sutter. But the interesting thing with Calgary right now is that their special teams have gone in the toilet. But the other way, they, they've they gone absolutely limp on the power play. They haven't scored a power play goal in five games. And the interesting thing about last night's game was through two periods, and you can see the highlights right here, as we watch TV in the Kintech studios here, they dominated the Islanders for 40 minutes. They were up two goals going into the third period. Oh, did they Canuck it? And then it all fell apart. Yeah. It was very reminiscent to... Did they Canuck it? They, they Canuck it. It was very reminiscent to the Nashville game, except for the fact that uh, the Islanders were in much better form than Nashville was going into the Canucks. Also, game. Markstrom was livid. Yeah, it was not, well, he got tripped up behind the net mm-hmm. um, and no, no call. call on the play. So he was fiery. And Old then fiery the Islanders got a power play in overtime. Yeah. What so the, heck? the other, the other, there were only three games in the NHL last night. The third game, the St. Louis Blues lost again. This time it was to the Boston Bruins. Yeah. Uh, the Blues are three, seven, and oh. 
in 10 games, they have a minus 16 goal differential. So this is all to suggest that although the Vancouver Canucks have had a disastrous start to the season, they're three, six, and three. They only got nine points. There's other teams struggling around them. The Western Conference ain't all that great. So if the Canucks are going to save their season, they got an opportunity right now to do it. And they can quickly climb the standings because no one else is putting points up. I'm going to I'm gonna tell you something right They're now. They're three points back of the Calgary Flames, and Calgary has the second wildcard spot. Minnesota's struggling. Minnesota doesn't look all that good. Yep. Nashville. A team that I remember arguing with Wish and Wish saying like, "Oh, they're going to make the playoffs." And I'm like, "I don't know, man. I think they're they're due for some for maybe some regression there." Nashville, we saw them the other night. Anyone impressed with the Predators? I thought the Predators looked like garbage. I'm the Canucks tell- did not. The, the Canucks should not have lost that game. I'm going to tell you something right now. Ooh, tell me what, something right what, now. What you're talking about? Um, there is a market that's developing. With struggling teams, and more importantly, struggling teams that had ex- expectations, that I think you're going to see a lot of these phone calls starting to be made between the general managers. And I do think that there's a market here for some pretty significant and seismic changes in a few different markets. Because Nashville is not good, and they doubled down and, dare I say, tripled down on that roster. They brought back Forsberg. They added McDonough. They're all in, and they're struggling. St. Louis, to me, is the one that everyone should be focused on right yeah. now. Because St. Louis also has a coach in Craig Berube, who while he's done a fantastic job, that style and as demanding and as hard he is on his players, that can cause burnout. He's very Daryl Sutter-esque in that regard. I think that there's something there. I also think there's something there with a lot of the older guys on that active roster. Ryan O'Reilly you know, has stepped up and said, this is my responsibility. I'm the reason that we're struggling. He's been awful to start the year. He's a pending UFA. I do wonder if Doug Armstrong is going to look at that team and look at guys like him and Tarasenko and whomever else that they might want to part ways with and say, do we need to start looking at this during the season? No, but it's why you go to those those models, whatever model um, you choose. The Athletic has one, Money Puck, and they have the odds to make the playoffs. And you know, pe- people might look at it and go, oh, I bet the Canucks' odds are like 4% or something the way they've started. They're not. No. Some of them have the Canucks as like, I think the Athletic had them like a one in three shot to make the playoffs. A lot of it is because there's so many other teams struggling in this conference. And like, that's the, 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 the LA Kings, the LA Kings, they're third place in the division, but they're not playing great. They're seven, six, and one. They got a minus four goal differential. If the Canucks can pull themselves together, they do have a chance to come back in this. Yeah. Now, I said, I've already said that I've already count, written them off, and I, I'm kind of waffling here. But like, I, I don't think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs. I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think they're a very good team, mm-hmm. right? But here's the thing: there are a bunch of other not so good teams. Well, the longer you hang around in the race, the longer you can either delude yourself into thinking that you're going to make it which often leads to trades, or you wave the white flag on it early and you start getting out ahead of other teams that are going to start selling pieces. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the X factor in all of this, make no mistake, and we can play the audio uh, coming up in the second half of the next segment, is the Bo Horvat situation. Of all the things that Jim Rutherford talked about yesterday, you almost forget that he is in 
current contract negotiations with his pending UFA captain who's also leading the team in goals. There's a lot going on with that market too, and you just wonder how it's going to play itself out. Uh, We have a lot more to get to on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're going to take a brief, albeit brief, timeout from the hockey talk. We're going to dive back into the Canadian Football League. Alex Hollins, wide receiver for the BC Lions, is going to join us next. Uh, Alex caught the opening touchdown against the Stamps on Sunday. He was on the field for that cool trick play where Antonio Pipkin threw a touchdown on third down to help the Lions uh, advance past the Stamps and get to the Western Final in the CFL playoffs. So we're going to talk to Alex real quick, and then we're going to get back into the Canucks talk and set things up for Thomas Drantz, who's going to be joining us at 8 o'clock here. Finally, before we go, we do not have a lot of what we learns in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Is this because we're not doing a giveaway today? Are you guys only responding when we give you stuff? Is that it? Yeah, we've programmed to do them to do this now. And do you need a dangling, the price. this dangling carrot every time? Help us out here, folks. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. It is the Smalt alternative. Text in your what we learned. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. We'll read them at 830. So that's the rest of the show. That's what we're going to do. Stick around, won't you? Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. (laughs) This music, man. (laughs) Hour two of the program. We are right in the middle of it. Smoking. I was going to say, this is obviously the mask, right? Everyone? Everyone hears this, right? I hear listening right now. You guys I was gonna say it sounds like music from a montage of a conveyor belt, like it's in factory. (laughs) This is (laughs) bunch of bunch of boxes being built. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally what I think of. All the cartoon workers packing up boxes. Yeah. Welcome to the cracker factory. (laughs) Focus. Focus. We do have a guest on the line, by the way. Hour two of the program. Somebody stop me. Oh, here we go. Hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. This is the music that plays when they recycle stuff, <laughs> the metal stuff. <laughs> just, the conveyor belt just going along. Hey, look, household appliances. Ooh, there's some brass wiring. Okay, focus. God. BC Lions are back in action this weekend after defeating the Stampeders. Uh, in a playoff game at BC Place, the first one since 2016. They are now off to Winnipeg. And the Bombers are four-and-a-half-point favorites hosting the Western Final. But that's this weekend. Let's look back on that big win on Sunday. Joining us now to do that, wide receiver for the BC Lions, uh, Alex Hollins here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fine. How you guys doing? Uh, we're good, thanks. And thanks for taking the time to do this. And congrats on the big win against Calgary on Sunday. For you personally, uh, what was it like not just to experience the big crowd, playoff football, atmosphere in the Canadian Football League, but also contribute the way that you did scoring that opening touchdown for the Lions? Uh, thank you, first of all. Um, man, you know, 
you know, just been on practice squad all year and, you know, when when look when a guy like Luck and Burn, you know, they go down, you know, obviously Burn came back and played. It was great to see him back, but you know, when they call your number to make some play, you you just wanna make those plays. Do whatever for your team, you know, to go to the next round to win the game, to execute, you know, just to make that big play to spark that energy for the team, you know. So you know, I sacrifice and do whatever I gotta do, you know, to um to see this team succeed. Speaking of like the big spark and the big play, you were in the huddle when Rick Campbell and the coaching staff make the call on third down. Instead of Antonio Pipkin just trying to scramble for the first down, it's the big passing play. It's the big passing touchdown. Uh, you could feel the momentum swing there. When you're in the huddle, Alex, uh, what is the vibe? What was the, the conversation you guys were having when you realized what you were about to do on the play call? Because uh, we ran that play in practice and we got the same exact result, you know, so got the uh, slow go, sell the slant, give eyes, the corner bike. And, you know, we made a big play. You know, once I heard the play, I'm like, woo, oh, yeah, here we go. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Let's make a play. <laughs> Let's get the crowd going. Let's get the team going. And, uh, you know, I ran a good route. And, you know, O-line did good. They stood in the pocket. Made a great throw. And made a good, made the play. Made it count. Got a touchdown out of it. Is it safe to say those third and shorts were the keys to the game, both for your offense but also your defense, which came up with a, a couple of big third and short stops to turn the ball over? Uh, yeah, it, they were on offense and defense. You know, we executed on on both sides to get the win. And you know, offense, you know, we always. Doing the quarterback, you know, on third down, we always doing like the quarterback sneak on third and short, you know, and you know we did the fake pass on third and short one time, and um, had got the touchdown, and so that was great. That was that was great to see, you know, because we've been waiting all year to run that, and we ran at the perfect time, you know, and that was great. And you know, defense stepping up like always, making plays, getting them guys about the field to get us on the field. To put some drive together and put together some, put together some good drive and score the ball, get some points on the board. And you know when when the defense is playing that good and we scoring, you know that makes the defense happy. And that just makes them want to go even harder to get us back on the field to put up more points. Alex, what's it like been watching Nathan Rourke battle back from this injury? Um, you know we were skeptical that he was going to be able to play uh, in the playoffs, but there he is. Uh, playing playing well and help help uh, win games for you guys and now you got a big matchup against uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. What's it been like watching Nathan Rourke battle back from this injury? Uh, man, it's been great to um, battle back from the injury. You know, man, because he been he been putting in so much work to get back. You know, um, I take it back all the way to training camp, seeing him in training camp and make plays. And, Throughout the season before the injury, he's just making plays and leading his team. Been a great guy for this team, you know what I'm saying? To see him back, it's like he never he, he didn't he didn't miss a beat at all, you know. Just to see him back all week preparing for this game and make sure you're going through all his right reads and, and everything, whatever he gotta do as a quarterback and to send him out there making plays, making those throws, man, it was it was beautiful to see, you know. And I was happy for him for him to be out there. We're speaking to BC Lions. I think everybody was happy for him to be out there. 
We're speaking to BC Lions wide receiver Alex Hollins here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Allens and the Lions, of course, are in Winnipeg this weekend. Western final to advance to the Grey Cup. Hey, Alex, I got to ask, you're from Mississippi originally. You played college ball at Eastern Illinois. Then you had stops in Minnesota in the NFL and Cleveland. Did you ever really have a super bad cold weather game? Because I don't know how familiar you are with winters or fall or whatever it is right now in Winnipeg, but the weather is usually off. And I'm wondering if you have any experience playing in a really bad weather game that stands out during the course of your playing career. Um, I played, I played a game. I played one snow game, but um, at East Illinois, like after the first few games of the season, like mm-hmm. after the first five games of the season, the rest of the season was cold, <laughs> cold, cold, cold. <laughs> and man, so I got a. I got a taste of that cold weather in East Illinois. Uh, it's uh, obviously uh, Minnesota. It's cold there, um, and in Cleveland. So it was cold in all three of those places. So you know, um, I played in it. I've been in it before, so it wouldn't be anything different. Like <laughs> I don't like the cold, yeah. but it's all right. It's all right when I got to play in it. It's fine. So um, going to Winnipeg, you know, I heard some teammates tell me about it. You know, because I'm from the south. Mississippi, so it don't get that cold. <laughs> and so they just let me know how cold it'll be. I'm like, hey, you just gotta deal with. It. We gotta, we gotta go ball. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you because it's like you've you've all got to prep for this now because it's one, Winnipeg's a really good team. Two, you've got to go to their house. Three, the weather's going to play a factor. What do you do in terms of preparation mentally to get ready for that? Where you're going to say it doesn't matter what the conditions are, it doesn't matter how cold it gets. I still got to perform. I still got to ball out. All those things. How do you mentally prepare for that going into what you know are going to be not great conditions? Um, uh, hey, I don't know. Honestly, I'm mean, I just gonna tell my, gonna tell myself all week for, uh, while I'm preparing. It's gonna be cold. It's gonna be cold. Still yeah. gotta make plays. We all still gotta make plays, no matter what. Well, it is gonna be cold. cold I hot, can guarantee rain, you that. Yeah, cold, whatever. <laughs> we gotta make plays. Yeah, yeah, we gotta make plays. All right. Well, Alex, with that, we'll let you go. I want to thank you for taking the time to do this today. We appreciate it. I also want to wish you best of luck. Go get a win in Winnipeg so you guys can continue to make plays in the Grey Cup. Yeah, it'll be even colder in Saskatchewan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I heard that too. (laughs) All right. Good luck, Alex. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. That's Alex Hollins, wide receiver for the BC Lions here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. A reminder, Lions are four and a half points only four-and-a-half-point underdogs going into Winnipeg, which I kind of thought was interesting, but I looked at the line in the Eastern final, and that's four. So I wonder if it was just one of those sort of blanket lines that they had for it. Do you think Alex went back to his teammates, and they were like, how'd the interview go? He's like, God, those guys are wimps. Like, they asked me about the cold for half the time. It wasn't like, half the time, but we did like, ask him yeah, about like, the Yeah, it's going to be cold. It's, one, foot, okay. it's football. Like, but no, come on, man. Like, he's probably just like, like those guys are wimps. Uh, pr- well, probably, but it yeah. probably had nothing to do with asking about the cold. He just got that general wimpy vibe from the beginning. But yeah. it, it is a reasonable thing to bring up because that's part of the great. It's going to be okay. In, it's going to yeah. be okay in Winnipeg this week. The, I was looking at the forecast. It's going to be well. It's going to be minus eight or something like that, and it's not going to be snowing. I don't think so. It'll be fine. But um, you know, the Grey Cup in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. If the Lions, if the Lions upset the Bombers, 
uh, and get to the Grey Cup, it's going to be cold there because the game starts later there. That's the difference, right? Right. And I remember being there, and as soon as the sun goes down, I said this a thousand times, but I was like, is this what it's like on the moon? Because <laughs> like on the dark side of the moon, because this is like, it, it's, it, it's, it's almost indescribable. Yeah. You, you have to experience it. I don't know if you've ever experienced the cold like that, but it is. Oh uh, yes. Not like that. Yeah. After yeah. five seconds, you're like, what am I doing out here? Yeah. My yeah. body is slowly shutting yeah. down. This is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You need danger, to go inside Danger. Now. Danger. <laughs> I need hot chocolate. Is Didn't the you... purple on my hand bad? <laughs> have you done the polar bear swim before? No, 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 no. I've, I've done it. That seems insane. Have you? You have? Yeah. Polar bear swim? I did it into the Hamilton Harbor, too. So I took my life my own hands there. So what happens? Do you get in the water and get out quickly, or do you get in and then let your body adjust to the sub-zero temperatures? It's then? up to you. There were guys throwing football what around in there. I Was Alex up... Hollins in there throwing, <laughs> throwing the football around? This ain't so bad. I was, out, <laughs> I was out. Well, I wanted to just go in quickly and get out, but you, you go in and your body sort of just freeze like like no pun intended. It freezes, yeah. but like your muscles like lock mm. up because it's just so Sometimes cold. it's hard to breathe. Like you just I didn't get, get a little that. bit of like uh like you just just a shortness of the breath. That actually might yeah. be a heart attack, but yeah, uh, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, they call it I'm cardiac no arrest sometimes. It's worth it though. I recommend doing it. So the Vancouver Canucks are in Ottawa tonight to play the Senators. Um Brock Besser could be back. He was uh wearing the top line jersey red. Red, red. is the top line jersey color. He was wearing it with Tanner Pearson and JT Miller. Yep. JT Miller is going back into the middle, oh, good. which I think is curious. Uh, do we have Bruce Boudreaux talking about that, Laddie? Because I don't want to say that JT Miller campaigned to go back uh, into the middle of the ice after playing a few games on the wing, and the reason he was on the wing was because it wasn't going so well defensively when he was playing center. Um, according to Bruce Boudreaux, this is something that JT Miller really wants. And so Bruce Boudreaux is going to give it to him. And that's where he belongs. I mean, we need more balance. Um, and uh, he wanted to play back the middle. I mean, uh, initially he just wanted to get his game going and he wasn't thinking he was skating enough uh, well enough. But now he thinks he's where he should be. And, uh, and he won't get back in the middle where I want him. Is that part of the process, though, when you do play the middle, there's more responsibilities? He, he said sometimes it gets on wing, there's a chance to maybe, you know, you don't have as many responsibilities. You definitely don't have as many responsibilities yeah. on wing. I mean, centers, I mean, you, you, you're all over the ice. You're the second man on the puck. You're down low. You're uh, side to side. You're, it's, uh, it's why centers are so valuable on the team and why we talk about when we have our three centers going, we're, we're pretty deep at that position. So... They're almost back to the lines, correct me if I'm wrong, that we're at training camp. Yep. With Miller between Besser and Pearson, Pedersen between Mikheyev and Kuzmenko and Horvat with Garland and Pod Colson. This is what they wanted to do from the onset. I mean, they said it a number of times and different people in the organization. They wanted the depth down the middle. They thought it was mm-hmm. a strength. I, I would quite frankly disagree with the move. I don't think that it's a good idea to keep doing the square peg round hole thing because I don't know yeah. if he's going to get it. But that's a player's coach right there talking. That's a that's a player's that's what Boudreaux is. Yeah. If you go to Bruce, Bill Holglander is like I don't know if he's much of a player's coach for me because Holglander is not going to be playing. Holglander, if I ask you to play, <laughs> Can, do I get in? Does it work like that? Because honestly, I think a lot of and I remember Willie Desjardins being big on this, just not just having the respect 
of the players or for the players, but also like extolling the virtues of that respect all the time. So he would talk about it with Alex Burroughs when he had to finally make the decision to scratch Burr. And he's like, it's not right. It's not fair. You've done so much in this league. Coaches will do that because they understand that one, uh, you got to keep these guys happy. Otherwise you're probably going to get fired. And two, these are the guys that are going to get your results. So if JT yeah. Miller as, and consider the context here. One of the highest paid players on the team. He's a leading scorer from the year before. He's an emotional leader. If he comes to you and says, okay, I'm ready to play center again, what are you going to say? No? Especially with the tenuous situation. Well, you just give him another chance, too. Yeah, exactly. You're like, okay, let's try it again, right? And so that, but but again, there are coaches who would look at that and say, no, we're going to stick with what we're doing. Yeah, no, thank you. And then that's the end of the conversation. And then the player walks away kind of frustrated and grumbling. And the coach is like, I'm not going to pay attention to any of that because I control these things and he controls those things. We're going to find out actually while we're on the air what the Canucks lineup will look like tonight a little bit more. They are going to skate at 1130 a.m. Eastern. That's 830 our time, of course. Uh, and then that's going to be followed by pregame media availability at the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa. So with any luck... We're going to talk to Drance, and then we're going to be followed by line rushes and whatever comes from the morning skate. And then, I guess once we're off the air, we're going to get, I'm assuming, Bruce Boudreaux yeah. media availability. The first media availability in the wake of Jim Rutherford saying what he said yesterday on Sportsnet 650. Uh, before we talk to Drance at 8 o'clock, should we go back and reset a couple of those things for listeners that just might be tuning in as to exactly what Rutherford said and how he said it? Yeah, because... If I'm a beat reporter today, you know, my first question for Bruce Boudreaux is any reaction to the comments by Jim Rutherford. What did you think of what your boss said yesterday, yeah. Bruce? And, and then I'm very curious to get the answers. And then if Bruce Boudreaux doesn't play ball, I would maybe repeat some of those things. So why don't we repeat a few of the things that Jim Rutherford said about the Canucks? There are still a few people out there that are wondering if this is really criticism of the head coach. And to those people, I say, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, It's not even veiled criticism, folks. Uh, I want to start with where he talks about that it's understandable that the team is giving up some leads, but not five multi-goal leads in 12 games. And this is where the conversation kind of started to shift from uh, a focus on the big picture to a focus on systems, preparation, and everything else. Here is the president of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford, yesterday right here on Sportsnet 650, talking about the Canucks' inability to hold on to a lead. It's understandable that teams are going to give up uh, leads, and you know it happens all over the league. But the fact that it has happened as many times as it has for the Canucks in this short period of time, it's a major concern, and something has to be fixed. When you when you're winning at home three nothing in your own building, and you have the the goaltender that we have and the players that we have, we should not lose that game. And unfortunately, we did. Every point's critical to us at this point. So, Jim Rutherford also mentioned that, and I will say reiterated. He's mentioned this before that the Canucks had a poor training camp, and Patrick Johnston of the province followed up with a text to Jim Rutherford and said, Hey, you know, you've said this thing about having a bad training camp before. Um, can you please explain that a little further? What do you mean by a bad training camp? And Jim Rutherford replied to him. He said, you saw the games and the practices, not enough extra drive and tempo to prepare for a five game road trip. 
and have a structure to make it easier for the players to play in all situations. Mm -hmm. That is a direct shot at the coaching staff. You saw the games and the practices. Have a structure to make it easier for the players to play in all situations. He didn't think that got done. And then it isn't and then he said on after hours, I'm not surprised in some ways how the season started because I saw our training camp. Not enough structure. He doesn't believe that the Canucks know where to be on the ice. He doesn't believe that they have a structure and a system that allows them to be in situations maybe where they're getting pressured and when they're pressured, know where the puck goes, know where each other is uh, are on the ice. Yep. He doesn't believe they have that comfort level. He's saying he needs a structure to make it easier for the players. So he's not putting this no, he's not putting this on the players. No. He's putting this on the structure. He's putting this on the system. Who is responsible for the structure and the system? It is the coach. You think ah. he's met with the players and they've echoed this message to him? Or is this something that he's noticing just on his own? I think he's noticing it on his own. Yeah. Would just, the structure change help, do you think, with this lineup? That's what I've wondered, and I, I don't know. I mean, if they if they had an, might. if they had an airtight structure and they played it to perfection, absolutely. Yeah. Right? But that here's the thing. Uh, you need a certain taskmaster to do that. Yeah. Because part of playing a very rigid structure, and this is across any professional sport, is if a guy screws up, there has to be like serious consequences. Yeah, and that's why he talks about accountability as well. Right? Like it's got to be like Daryl Sutter. Like if you don't do certain things, you're sitting publicly on the bench for the entire third period. You know, Andy, to answer your question, um, I would have doubts about the personnel on this team to play like Daryl Sutter heavy hockey or mm -hmm. Barry Trotz type hockey, but... The one thing I always keep in mind is that Trotz did it with the Islanders, mm -hmm. right? Like he, you can do it. He he went into and I don't know if there was a ton of change to the lineup with the Islanders when he took over. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I I just don't remember. But what I do remember is there was a couple of teams that went from horrible def defensively yeah. to really good defensively. One was the Islanders, and one was the Dallas Stars. Uh, who went to, I guess that was Montgomery's team? Yeah. Who went from Lindy Ruff yeah, to to and Monty, Monty, and Monty's now in Boston, in Boston, right? Yeah, yeah. So it can be done. You can turn a team uh, from freewheeling into defensive. We don't know if ownership wants to do that. Ownership has always said that I want our team to play high-tempo, entertaining hockey because I think they're still scarred from the year of torts. Yep. Um, but just to, to put a, you'd be amazed at what a really good, really fundamentally, but also really strict coach can do to a team in terms of what you're talking about, knowing exactly where you need to be. Cause all it is, is preparation for scenarios, right? So actually in high school, in grade 12, we had a, we had a, our, our basketball coach was super overqualified to coach high school basketball. Right. He played he played at UBC, played professionally in Germany. Sure. So we had a rotation on defense that was super predicated on if you stepped out on a shooter and the guy got by you, the other four remaining defenders had a very specific point on the floor where they needed to go. Yeah. 
There was reads involved in it, but you knew exactly what you had to do. The thing was, was it complicated? It was complicated, and if you didn't, if you ran it to perfection, it was unbreakable because you just had it was yeah. this flow of. But if you didn't, if one guy didn't follow it, mm-hmm. the whole thing would fall apart. Right. We. Did, How many times did you let it fall apart? Just every time I was out there because I, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't read and react quickly enough. And you, and the problem is, is you start to think about where you need to go as opposed to instinctively going there. Does that sound familiar? Where maybe guys look like they're thinking about what to do next instead of instinctively doing it. That's the great coaching job that sometimes you don't get, right? Where you don't necessarily say, you guys figure it out, or you throw the pucks out and you're like, go play. There's, It's a very, very specific structure. But the other thing that I remember about those basketball practices is like, you'd get a shot to do it and you'd screw it up. And then he's like, no. You're not, not only are you not doing this in the practice anymore, but when it comes time to a game, you have now proven to me that I can't trust you in that moment. So you don't play. Yeah. It's really cut and dry, to be honest. When you take away the emotion or the pissed off players or hurt feelings or whatever, it's like, hey, this isn't anything personal, but I have a system we need to play and I can't trust you to execute it at the highest level. Ergo, you're not playing. Now, would Bruce Boudreau be that guy? No. He's not that guy. He's not that guy. He's not that guy. He's and more of a player's coach. We're finding that out as we move along. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We'll dive into this uh, further with Thomas Drance coming up next.